0: Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation?
1: So, Father, a simple, bold plea. Speak your word to us. Let us see Jesus. Fill us with your spirit. Give us faith. Cause us to believe. Give us hope. Renew us again. Give us joy. Care for us and nurture us through your word. We all pray boldly, In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. If you have not already, I would invite you to take your Bible or uh, the Bible that's underneath the chair in front of you and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. book of Hebrews chapter 1. Here Redeemer, we are going to start a 15 to 20 week journey through the book of Hebrews. And I am begging you to join me on this journey. Now, the journey is not merely coming and listening to me talk about Hebrews, because we don't believe that that's exactly where the power is. We believe the power will be when God's people and God's Word and God's Spirit come together. And so I'm pleading with you to join me in reading Hebrews over the next 15 to 20 weeks. And, and this, is the, this is the invite, encouragement, hope that I extended last week. And I just want to extend it to you again. Will you read the book of Hebrews once a week with us for the next 15 to 20 weeks? It's 13 chapters. You can do it in less than an hour. Now, you're all smart people, but I can try my hand at the math. You could do four chapters over three days plus one. You could do three chapters over four days plus Plus one. You could do two chapters over six days, plus one. You could do one chapter. No, that doesn't work. Either way, it's an hour of your life. I can't help but believe that if you would prayerfully sit down and pray something like this, God, would you help me see you and believe in you from Hebrews and read through it, and then say, now, Lord, would you help me understand what I've read, and help me believe it, and help me want to be like your son. I think God will meet with you there, and will do crazy good things. And then imagine if that happened 20 times over the next 20 weeks, times a several hundred people over the next 20 weeks. I just can't help but think that we would see the Lord in a beautiful way, and that at the end of 20 weeks, we would have some crazy good things to celebrate. That, that's what I'm eager for. So the sermons, they're to help guide us through the reading, but they're not intended to be the main entree. They really aren't. The Word is the entree. And I want to help you to to saturate yourself and to devour God's Word. So today, our task is to look at Hebrews chapter 1. Now, I've already preached this sermon once, so this is kind of the choose-your-own-adventure part of the sermon. Do you want me to pretend that I'm going to get done and then act surprised at the end when I don't? Or do you just want me to tell you we're only going to get through the first four verses? It's really your choice. Which one do you want? A or B? A or B? Okay, so we want okay, faux drama. I love it. Okay. So today, I'm going to preach the whole chapter 1 of Hebrews. And here's what we're going to see. What are we to get done? Our hope is Jesus. He's do our worship. Let nothing distract us from our devotion to him. So maybe you're here today and you're checking this church out. Maybe you're here today, you're checking out our faith. Maybe you're checking out the gospel. Maybe you're checking out Jesus And you're like, I don't know how to sit and listen to you talk. Maybe I want you to try. I want you to open a Bible. I want you to read these words. But, But here's the point. Jesus is everything. He's everything. He's how we know God. He's how we know who we really are. He's how we know what God desires from us. He's how we know what God is doing in the world. The center of all eternity is Jesus Christ. Everything. Pivots on Him. And our joy in this world goes up and down in how we cling to Him. Our experience of God's mercy in this world goes up and down in how we cling to Him. Our living for God's glory goes up and down in how we cling to Him. Jesus is everything for the people of God. And that's what this chapter shouts. It's going to shout it in two ways. It's going to say that Jesus is how we know God because if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. And then it's going to say that Jesus is greater than angels. And now let's just be really honest here. For a bunch of Westerners in the year 2019, the whole angels thing just kind of feels a little bit distant, right? Okay, great, he's greater than angels. I cleaned out my closet yesterday, you know. But I promise there's some really healthy, helpful truth in wrestling with this idea that Jesus is greater than the angels. But we'll do that next week but I'm going to pretend that I'm going to do it this week, okay? So the first point, if you're a note-taker, I titled, Through Jesus. The sermon I titled, The Son. Because the author of Hebrews is really writing a huge sermon. And the introduction is, look at Jesus. The main point is Jesus. The main truth is Jesus, Jesus. The main hope is Jesus. What he wants you to see is Jesus. And he comes out of the gate like a boxer. Like, you guys remember Mike Tyson? Anybody remember watching Mike Tyson box? It was 30 seconds of fury. But you knew who was the boss, right? This Hebrew starts like that. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. Now, I'll entertain your arguments, but Jesus. And I'll entertain this thought, but Jesus is the answer. And I'll entertain your struggles, but Jesus is your hope. Jesus. 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 So if you don't get anything out of this message today, hear this. Jesus is your only hope. Whatever it is you walk through those doors that had you debilitated and stuck, I promise that the answer flows through Jesus. It might also flow through counseling. It might also flow through a helpful friend. It might, but it will revolve around Jesus. And we are people who are prone to settle for easy, worthless replacements for Jesus. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. We're so quick to find something that's new and shiny and believe that it's going to deliver us in a better way than our Savior did. And this passage says stop. Stop. So let's read. Long ago... At many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now remember, this was written before 100, the year 100 AD. So long ago means way back before then. Frankly, it means all the way to the beginning. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is God has a history of speaking through His Word to make Himself known. He did it by sending prophets who were led by His Spirit to give His Word to His people. But the reality of all of history is we only know God because God has chosen to reveal Himself. We only know God because God has said, I want my people to know me, to know how to follow me, to know how to be delivered by me, and know how to live for my glory. God has always been a God of revelation, and the only hope for the world has always only been that God chose to reveal himself. So one of the most pivotal verses in all of the Bible for me is Deuteronomy 29, 29. And if you've been here at Redeemer for any time, you probably feel me trying to force that upon you, okay? So I am imposing my will upon you today. Your new life verse is Deuteronomy 29.29. Take the other ones down, get new embroidered things to hang around your house. It's Deuteronomy 29.29. If you don't know what a life verse is, don't worry about it. We Christians have too many cliches, okay? Deuteronomy 29.29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What that means is there are things about God that we can't comprehend. There are things about God that we cannot understand. There are things about God that if we knew them, they would debilitate us more than they would help us. But, but, the things that are revealed belong to, to us do you hear that but God chose to reveal himself through his word so that we would know him and love him and be known by him and walk with him and 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 be his children and that the word belong means that they would so shape who we are that we would pass them on to our children and so what Deuteronomy 29 29 is shouting to us is God's people know God because God reveals himself through his word okay God has always been a God who's known because he reveals himself through his word our hope is God but we know God through his word We can't know God left to ourselves. We need help, and it comes from God. We can't know God just by going out on mountains and staring at the clouds, at least in a saving way, because we need help, and it comes through His Word. We need God's Word. So long ago, and in many ways, and at many times, God's spoken through prophets. But, in these last days, He's spoken by His Son. And so, when the Bible says in these last days, it means the time from when Jesus came until when the world ends. So, the author of Hebrews lived in the last days. The apostles lived in the last days. We live in the last days. Our kids, when we're dead and gone, will live in the last days unless Jesus comes back and their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. So, often television preachers like to get up and say, I got this new insight. We're in the last days. Yeah, welcome to the club. Been there for 2,000 years. That was a little bit funny, guys. So when the Bible says in these last days, it means the time that Jesus started, and it's not changing. And he says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purifications for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now we're going to go through all those phrases, but get this. God has spoken definitively and finally in Jesus. And if we know Christ in the Word that testifies to Christ, we need no other revelation from God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but what He has revealed, His Son, and the Word about His Son, is everything that we need to know Him, and to follow Him, and to love Him, and to serve Him. And that which elevates Jesus is worthy of listening to, and that which doesn't is not. That which is truthful as the word which elevates Jesus is worthy of listening to, and that which doesn't is not. So whether or not this sermon is worth your time depends on how much it elevates Jesus or fails to do so. Depends on how faithful and true it is to the definitive word that God has given in his son. And so what that means is we as modern Western Americans have to fight our addiction to the new and the shiny and realize that everything we definitively need in this life is revealed for us in Christ and is given to us in the ministry that he brought to us. Anybody besides me here get sucked into those like seven life hack emails that are just clickbait, you know, like like seven ways to reorient your work day so that you'll never be stressed again or or um, eight ways to prepare a year's worth of meals in four hours, you know, like you all get we all get sucked into those life hacks, right? I don't have any problem with that. That's not unbiblical. Enjoy your life hacks. But you know what always happens every time I click on one of those? I go, Oh, so I need to start keeping up with my workflow differently. And I'll spend like a whole day creating a new workflow, and then I'll try it for two days, and then I'm like, nah, I like my old one better. Like, Does that happen to anybody besides me? Like, they just never deliver. And I think that mindset of the new and the shiny, like, ooh, every six months, Apple's gonna tell me that my phone's now worthless, and I need to throw it away and get a new one because there's something shinier and better. Man, mine still calls people and still texts. We're good. I knew my phone was really old when a nine-year-old came up to me recently and said, what's that? <laughs> I'm like, that's my phone. He's like, no, 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 phones are much bigger than that. Um, but we're addicted to new. So when we get stale, our bodies are hardwired to want something new. When we get cold our bodies are hardwired to want something new when we get frustrated we're hardwired to go looking for something new but what this passage is saying is stop looking for new paths to god and go down the old paths because he's given you the path when he gave you jesus he's given you the vision that you need when he showed you his son he's given you the story that you need to believe when he helped you hear the story of jesus the old paths aren't bad they're what we need as long as it's the path that leads to jesus God has spoken definitively in His Son. And His Son is worthy of us listening to, us believing in, us following, and us aligning our lives with Him. That's what Hebrews shouts. Never forget the path that points to Jesus. Now, I want to be really clear. There are things that God has revealed in the Scripture that we don't know yet. And seeking to learn those, that's not pursuing the new. That's just trying to live with the old. But there are some of us that know the Bible backward and forward and we've just gotten bored with it. And we think that we need something new to help us. We need things that point us to Jesus. So what I want you to walk away from today with is what I need in my life is not something new, but I need a more Tangible connection to Christ. And I believe He's given it to us in His Word and by His Spirit. So, why is Jesus worthy of this type of praise? And I mean, this is a really bold statement. All of eternity hinges on Jesus Christ, we need nothing more than Jesus. Those are huge statements. Why is that true? Perhaps you're a skeptic here today going, I don't believe all, that's just religious garbage. Hebrews tries to give us some answers. So let's let's dive in. I have eight of them and I have five minutes. Ready? And that's just the first half. Why is the Son worthy of our devotion? Number one. At the end of verse two, But in these last days, he spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So, number one, Jesus is the heir of all things. Heir simply means the inheritor. All things, do you know what that means in the original language? It means all things. Visible and invisible. Physical and spiritual. On the earth, under the earth, above the earth. It's all been willed over to Jesus. It all belongs to him. There is nothing that exists that God the Father has not said it belongs to Christ, my Son. So Jesus is the heir of everything. Second, through whom also He created the world. So what we're told is the world was created through Jesus. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, like by His Word, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be light separated from the darkness, and it was so. And God said, let the waters and the earth be separated, and it was so. And so every time God created, what did He do? He spoke. And what Hebrews says is, the Word was Jesus. John 1 says the Word is Jesus. And what we're being told here is God the Father created everything that He created through Jesus. So it all belongs to Him because He made it all. And so we sit here today as 115 people who exist because Jesus made us and we belong to Him. Now I want you to get your mind around this. That's true whether you accept it or not. That's true whether we assent to it or not. It is reality. And what we need to do is lean into reality and let reality tell us what is true. Jesus made us and we belong to him. Therefore, he can call us to whatever he wants to. Also, therefore, he knows us. He knows us. He knows what's wrong with us and he knows how to fix what's wrong with us. Because he made us, and we belong to him. Okay, number three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That just sounds like a bunch of religious gobbledygook piled into a sentence. Doesn't he? He's the radiance of the glory of God. So in the Bible, the glory of God is this nature and character of God that is Other and worthy of being praised and exalted for all of eternity. There's something about God that's so different than us, so glorious and so wonderful that it's worth being lifted up and told about and leaned into and praised for all of eternity. Okay. Now. The sun's starting to come out. So this illustration is going to work a lot better than it did at 9 o'clock, okay? So I want you to go out. I want you to take off your sunglasses. And I want you to look straight up at the sun and stare into it. Now, what's going to happen? Are you going to see electrons and protons and particles? And are you going to know the temperature of the sun? No. There's just going to be this blinding reality that makes everything kind of go white and makes you squint, right? Right? That's the sun's radiance. And so what we're being told is when we look to Jesus, we see the radiating glory of God. That's what we see. God is making Himself known by lifting up His Son. Which leads to number four. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, which means that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. It means that everything we need to see about God, to know who God is and how to walk with Him, is given to us in Jesus. Jesus is the heir of all things. Everything belongs to Him. He created all things. He's the radiating vision of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God's nature, meaning He is the revelation that makes God known to us. Number five, He upholds The universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now get your mind around that. The world continues because Jesus holds it up. Science is not a threat to that theological statement. Science just helps us understand what a crazy profound statement that is. So science has taught us that we currently breathe in something called oxygen, and that feeds our bodies. And then we blow out carbon dioxide, which is waste and unusable to us. But God also created plants that would take in that waste and would be fed by it and put out their waste, which is known as oxygen, which is what we need. So, one man's trash is another plant's treasure, is basically what I'm saying. But the reality is, God has created a world where that continues to happen and the world goes on. And that scientific fact is not a threat to that. That scientific fact just shows you how intimately powerful God is and how meticulously in control of his world. Science also tells us that if the earth were to spin on its axis at one degree different, one degree. Think about that the next time you're a kid, you check your kid's math and they're like, but dad, I only missed it by like one. If the earth spun on its axis one degree off from when it's spinning, science tells us that the world would explode and fall apart. Jesus spins the world at just the right speed on just the right axis because he upholds the world by the word of his power now friends that's the amount of power that's at disposal in the Lord Jesus that I'm saying to trust and worship and follow So I know we all came through this door with big burdens, big barriers, big hurts, big struggles, big needs. But I'm telling you, this is the kind of Savior, this is the kind of Lord that the Bible says, trust him, lean into him, plead to him for mercy, follow him. He, if anything, is able. That's what this is shouting. Number six. This God, this God It just like like the language here just blows my mind. After making purifications for our sins, comma, like, like, after cleaning out my closet yesterday, I took a nap. Like just an afterthought. After making purification for our sins, don't miss those five words. This Jesus, at great cost to himself, made purification for our sins. What that means is he knew his creation so intimately that he knew our problem was our sin. And he knew that our sin caused a chasm between us and him. And at great cost to himself, his life, his death, his resurrection, he came to purify us from that sin. He came so that that which was far off would be brought near. He came so that which was separated would be joined. He came for that which was an outcast to be made a family member. Jesus purified us from our sins as part of his lordship and his reign over his world. This tells us that not only is Jesus able to forgive us, Jesus knows what we need and at great cost to himself has purchased what we need. He made purification for our sins. Number seven. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What that says is Jesus is accepted to sit at the right hand of God and reign over everything, which means that Jesus is God because nobody else is accepted on that throne. And it means that he's in charge of everything. This passage is saying Jesus is the heir of all things. He created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He made purification for our sins, and he reigns on high. And some of you might be sitting there going, Man, this is a water hose, a fire truck hose filled with theology, and I can't take it all in. That's the point. That's the point. I think the author of Hebrews wanted you to walk out of here overcome at how great Jesus is. So maybe you didn't get past number one. Maybe some of you didn't get past number two. Maybe some of you didn't get past number three. Maybe some of you didn't start listening to point number five. It doesn't matter. Every single one of us is walking out of here if we have listened at all, overwhelmed at the greatness of Jesus believing that he's able, believing that he cares, believing that he knows. That's what we're walking out with. And there might be some of us saying, yeah, but man, I need something to help me. I need something a little more tangible. I need something a little more practical. I don't believe that that's wrong to want that, but just know this. If you take the water out of the hose, it's not a helpful fire hose anymore. Your house is just going to burn down. The water in the hose is the truth of who Jesus is. And all of our help flows through him. So maybe you're having relational crises. Maybe you're having marital crises. Maybe you're having parenting crises. Maybe you're having a financial crisis. Maybe you're having a belief crisis. Maybe you're having a work crisis. In all of those things, I'm not trying to say what you feel today is unreal. And I'm not trying to say that common grace helps aren't helpful. But I'm saying, all the answers that will deliver you will flow through Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the hope. And I want you to lean into him and let everybody else carry you down the path. I'm not, I'm not, but, but hear me, hear, like, I love you guys. I want you to hear this really clearly. I'm not the theological pastor up there saying I, that you shouldn't hurt. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the path to Jesus, the path with Jesus is where the real deliverance comes. Everything else is just a tool. Either it helps you walk with Jesus or it doesn't. But walk with him. Go to him. Run to him. See him. Believe in him because that's where the power will be. That's what Hebrews is shouting. Now what about the angels? He's greater than them, right? I mean, to our modern Western minds, doesn't that just feel like a throwaway? Like, He's the heir of all things. He created the world. He's the radius of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He made purification for our sins. He reigns on high. Oh, he's superior to angels. Like, doesn't that just feel like a throwaway? Because the only thing we know about angels is angels in the outfield and touched by an angel and a bunch of silly stuff. So if you want to know about the angels, you've got to come back next week. This is the closest thing Redeemer will ever do to a bait and switch. But let me just give you something, okay? In the Old Testament understanding, in the Bible, angels are known, and I'm borrowing from a definition by my, my, one of my professors and my friend, George Guthrie. In Scripture, angels are created heavenly beings who primarily function as messengers for God, revealing His will or announcing key events. They also serve to protect God's people. In context, accentuating God's power and majesty, angels worship Him or attend His throne. So get your mind around this. Angels are created, they're heavenly beings, and this is what they do in the Bible. They, they bring God's messages. They protect God's people. They carry out God's work for his people. And in scenes where God is being worshipped, it's the angels around the throne worshipping. So, Jesus is greater than the messengers. Jesus is greater than the protectors. And the only way to be greater than those around the throne being worshipped is to be on the throne. We'll talk about that next week. But today, I want you to believe that wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, it was no accident that you were here today, and God is saying, look to my son. The answer flows through my son. The hope flows through my son. Now, if I can help you connect those dots after this service, I'll be right over here by the old piano, and I promise not to sing, but I would love to help you connect those dots. If someone else in our church that you brought here today, just say, hey, I need to talk some more. Let's connect those dots. But let's all be found saying, I look to Christ. So, our Father and our God, we pray now that you would come and you would worship, you would would lead us to worship you. Whatever's good and right and true and trustworthy that's been said today, press it deeply into the hearts of your people and help everyone in this room who is your child. Feel your presence and your love. And those who are here exploring, draw them, pull them to yourself, Father, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation, at this time we're going to respond to this message by taking the Lord's Supper. This is what Jesus said. As often as you take this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup to say my only hope is Christ. We're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup to say I'm looking to him and I'm clinging to him. So at Redeemer Church, we invite anyone who's a Christian, anyone who's professed faith in Jesus and made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're not trying to to, um, single you out. We're not trying to make you feel excluded. But the taking is a symbol of trusting. And rather than taking the symbol, I want you to take the Savior. I want you to trust Jesus. And the way to do that is to to stop and to pray and ask God to save you and ask God to show you how Jesus is the answer. So while we're taking bread and cup today, you can meet Jesus and we would love to see that happen. So we're gonna sing. These guys are gonna pass out the bread and the cup and I'll come back in a moment and we'll take them together.